0: Good afternoon, New Philadelphia Church. Uh, My name is John Michael Becker. I'm one of the preaching pastors here at New Philly. I'm also uh, one of the healing and deliverance pastors here at the church. And uh, I want to start by saying that the message today is not for young ears. And so if there are any children uh, that are watching uh, or here under the age of 11, I suggest going to the back room or parents putting headphones uh, on their ears. Let's get ready. Um, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6. Today's sermon was influenced by uh, some of the work I do at uh, an orphanage here in Korea. I've been serving the orphanage since the end of 2005. And in 2010, I was asked by a dorm father there to teach sex ed to the kids in Korean. And I did it, I, I learned some new words. And uh, I taught to the boys and I asked the boys, have you guys ever learned about this stuff? They were attending church. They were also going to school. I knew they had gotten sex ed many times, but they said, we have never heard what you taught about today. And they really needed it. I've taught other uh, boys at the orphanage, other, our scholarship recipients, and other boys here in Korea, in English and in Korean, uh, sex ed, and they have all said, I've never heard teaching on these things. And uh, it really shocked me and saddened me that these things are not be being covered in the church, uh, and that a lot of Christian boys and girls are having to figure out these things on their own. Even a lot of you, now young adults, are still learning these things on your own. And so I'm going to make some stuff clear today. And uh, I want you guys to take notes because I want you guys to also teach it to the people that have you have influence over. Uh, I will tell you one of the most awkward things is when it's time to teach your son or your daughter Uh, this stuff. But once you do it, you realize, wow, I'm so thankful I took that moment. I'm so thankful that I was able to share these things. And the more you're able to share and teach the younger generation, the more they will walk in freedom. But the less you share with them, the more the chance they're going to make the same mistakes you made or even worse. So today's sermon is aptly titled Sex, Soul Ties, and Pornography. I like to just put it out there. Sex, soul ties and pornography. First Corinthians chapter six, verses 15 through 20. Uh, Go ahead and read along with me Uh, or I'll read aloud. You guys can uh, just read silently. Uh, It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? The word for sexual immorality that you guys just read there in the Greek is porneia. Porneia can be translated as illicit sexual intercourse, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, uh, any sexual gratification outside of marriage. It's also where we get the word porn from, porneia. So fornication... That word, if you did not know it, means having sexual intercourse with someone that you are not married with. It doesn't mean you have to be married in order to commit adultery. You can commit adultery before being married because obviously you are not married and you're having sex with someone. All right? A lot of baby Christians, a lot of youth will try and say, Do not commit adultery only means only applies to those who are married. No, it applies to everyone, whether you are in marriage whether you are married or not. And so a lot of kids need to know, and I think a lot of you need to know, why should I wait for marriage? Why? What's the point? Now, I'm going to list, or I'm going to teach the way I taught my kids. And so some of these will be basic, and some of these, I think, will open your eyes uh, as I speak today. The first reason to wait until marriage, first reason, I want you guys to take notes, premarital sex weakens trust between a couple. Premarital sex weakens trust between a couple. I think most of you guys can agree, sex is a powerful thing. Uh, it's like a fire. And if you are ever making a campfire, if you are ever put in, making a fire in a fireplace, you need to set up a perimeter, boundaries, so that that fire will not go out and destroy things. People love a campfire. They'll gather around. And they'll stare at it. They love a campfire. They love a fire in a fireplace. But people are not drawn so much to a forest fire. They're not drawn so much to a building in flames that's crashing down. People run away from those things. Sex is something that is meant to have boundaries. It's meant to have boundaries. And marriage is the truest boundary because it is a commitment for life. An influential therapist who's not Christian, John Gottman, says that the key ingredient for a successful marriage, and this guy has studied countless marriages, he says the key ingredient for a successful marriage is trust. It's not romance. It's not compatibility. It's not shared memories. It's none of that. It's trust. It's trust in each other. And uh, he's studied so many marriages, and he can, he can guess who will be divorced and who will make it, I think it's almost a 90% success rate. He can tell just by trust. And so sex outside a covenant, when a couple has sex outside of marriage, they are showing that that covenant of marriage is not that important to each other. They're showing that it's okay, we can just do this. And in doing so, it's actually breaking trust. Because how can they really believe that this person is committed to me for life? You see, when you get married, it's before God, it's before people. You make vows, till death do us part, you sign documents. There is a deep level of commitment. And if you wait until that point, there is a deep level of trust. But premarital sex breaks that trust. Word doesn't mean much. So what? That we we got married. We were already having sex before. Doesn't that... I'm not sure if you're really committed to me. This is why women need to say, put a ring on it. Okay? It's a level of commitment. It shows trust. Okay? You know this person is committed to me because... We got married in front of my parents. We got their blessing. We did these things. And so there's deep trust in our marriage. But when you have sex outside of marriage, it begins to eat away at that trust. Is this person really committed to me or is he just giving me talk? You guys get this? And it goes both ways. Second reason to wait until marriage. I hope you guys know this one. Sex creates babies. <laughs> Kids need to know this. Uh, At one of the children's homes, uh, some of the kids were sexually active, and I don't recommend this, but at the children's home, they brought in one of the babies in the orphanage and put it in the couple's lap and said, you're going to take care of this baby for two weeks or you're going to break this off. It worked. The kids stopped. Uh, They broke off the relationship. Uh, There are no returns, no refunds, no exchanges with babies. Children are for life. This is all the more reason why sex is meant for marriage, where there is a commitment for life. Third reason, there should be another dull reason, kids need to know this, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. Was it Sungbyong? I think that's what it is in Korean. I can't remember uh, when I was teaching. But uh, sex, because of STDs, you should wait until marriage. When you're pure, if you've waited and your partner is pure and they've waited, you have no concern about any disease, about anything affecting each other or your children. I think those two are pretty dull reasons but it's good for the youth to know them. Third reason that you guys might not know is premarital sex steals the joy and connection of a dating relationship. Steals the joy and connection of a dating relationship. I want to encourage you guys to write these down. Premarital sex steals the joy and connection of a dating relationship. I think you guys are aware that men think about sex, on average at least, a lot more than women. Think about it a lot. OK, and if uh, let's say if sex were pizza and I really wanted pizza and you put pizza right in front of me, it would be hard for me to resist. At some point, as the days go by, as the weeks go by, I would really want that pizza because it's right in front of me. But if you put the pizza in another room and you said this is for a later time, we're not going to look at the pizza. We're not going to smell the pizza. We're not we're not going to entertain the pizza. I'm going to have a grace to be able to be focused. Or whatever else is in the room. Does this make sense? So there is a grace when couples agree we're going to abstain from sex until marriage for both partners, but especially for the male, to connect emotionally. Dating is romantic. It's mysterious. It's, it's so special. Especially when you find that one and you're getting to know each other. There is such a deep emotional connection that should be treasured. I treasure the, the times of dating Sky, my wife Sky, and in our engagement as well. And you know what? My mind wasn't on sex because we had made boundaries. Because we had made it clear that we're going to wait until marriage. We didn't kiss until I proposed to her. We waited that long. And so we were able to do so much together. I was able to focus upon her. We had so much joy. But don't you know, if you put it in front of the guy, his mind's going to go on it. And if he gets a bite, if he gets to give in, his mind just starts to consume it. And that emotional connection that was once there starts to lessen. And instead, the priority becomes that sexual relationship because it's like a fire and it burns and he wants more. And so it goes for a time and then when that fire starts to dampen, you're left with a relationship that's deteriorated because that emotional bond has been cut. Where he was once emotionally connecting, now he's just connecting in a physical state. And so that emotional connection has deteriorated. You see, premarital sex steals the joy and connection of a dating relationship. To have sex without a covenant, without boundaries or commitment, is to treat sex like the animals do. Something free, something fun that can be done whenever and with whomever. Get this. Farmers know that if a bull loses interest in a female cow, all they have to do is put another female cow in front of him. Suddenly, that sexual desire comes right back. He gets excited, and and he copulates with that female cow. And then they put another and another and another. They know for rams that a ram will only have sex, will only mate with a female ewe, with with a female sheep, a ewe, five times and lose interest. But if they put a different female sheep in front of the ram, one after another, the ram will just keep going and just keep going. This is the same for a rooster with hens. This is the same for 95% of all mammals. Okay, they don't just stick with one. They move on and on and on. Hollywood and the media love presenting this type of joy of sex. It's fun. It's exciting. Get out there. Enjoy being with different people. Do these different things. But let me ask you, does that bull have an emotional connection with the female cows that he sleeps with? A mace with? of course not does a ram have an emotional connection with the different sheep that he mates with of course not does a man have an emotional connection with all these different women that he sleeps with no because he's resorting to his animal instincts and because he's treating them more in the physical than in the emotional there is no depth of connection Oh, it's, it's fun. You can ask a lot of guys out there today, would you take this option if you could sleep with these different women? And I will tell you, most men will say yes. A, a majority of men will say yes. And I'm not talking just about Christian men. I'm talking about men in general. But will there be an emotional connection? No. And what we know is that we want an emotional connection for life. We want marriage. We want joy. We want to connect. We want romance. We want mystery. But if it's just something where I'm just having fun, I'm just being free, I'm doing all these things, you destroy it all. Guys, you are not animals. Okay, you are not animals. You are meant for one, to be committed to one. And the dating time period is meant for romance. It's meant for mystery. It's meant for connecting emotionally. It's meant for getting deep and letting that trust, that be the foundation of your marriage, not sex, not something physical. Premarital sex steals the joy and connection of a dating relationship. Verse uh, that really blessed me in my dating relationships. It's the chorus of Song of Songs. Song of Songs is the book of love. And there is one verse that is repeated three times throughout the book. And i uh, go ahead and put it up. If we can get up, I don't know if you guys are gonna get it on video or not, but Song of Songs 273584, 85, I'm sorry. It's all oh, eight four. It's all the same verse. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. NIV says, Do not arouse or awaken love until it pleases. And guys, Song of Songs is a lot about sex. Do not arouse or awaken it until it pleases. You wait. For the marriage bed. Do not arouse or awaken love. And so I took this verse and I applied it in my past dating relationships. Not just with with my wife, Sky, but with past girlfriends that I dated. That we agreed we're not going to arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And I knew my body. I knew the different boundaries. I knew the different places where where I might start to be tempted. I might start to sniff the pizza and, and lose track of my mind. And so we set up those different boundaries so that the pizza was outside of the room. I'm not thinking about it. I'm focusing on you. We're gonna enjoy each other. That pizza's gonna come later. We're gonna enjoy it together. For now, my focus is on you. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Set up boundaries in your dating relationships. I'm pretty silent in here. You guys with me? <laughs> surprise! Surprise! He's talking about sex. Okay. Fifth reason, why waiting. Uh, Should be taught and uh, you can teach this without the Bible, but it's more effective with the Bible fifth reason to wait until marriage is because sex creates a soul tie Sex creates a soul tie a soul tie is simply a tie that is formed between two people's souls or their mind will and emotion There are healthy soul ties and there are unhealthy soul ties I'm gonna explain it without using the Bible first and then by using scripture because when you teach kids, sometimes you, you got to teach it in a very practical way. Soul ties are critical for human development. When a baby is conceived, immediately it forms a soul tie with the mother in the womb. It feels what the mother feels. Okay, And this is why when you are pregnant, you have to be careful not just about what you eat, but the way you think, the way you react. Okay, Because the baby is tied to your mind, will, and emotions. The baby feels it. Okay, And when their baby is born... That soul tie is critical through child development. I've served in an orphanage for over eight years. For children who do not have a soul type between infancy and five years old, they are susceptible to reactive attachment disorder. That's R-A-D. What this disorder is is that a kid has no emotional connection with anyone. Therefore, it has no moral. So these are the children that drown puppies, that kill their siblings, that do all sorts of immoral things adoption agencies foster care are very aware of such children north korea they say so many of the children there have rad that they are unadoptable you may have heard of, of adoption cases from china or from russia where the child was such a terror they tried to send the child back that's rad the children need an emotional connection they don't just need food they need an emotional connection with someone should be the mother. If it's not the mother, it should be a a dorm mother, a a a surrogate mother, someone who can take care of the child, especially through that development phase. But what happens when you hit about 12 to 14 years old? Body starts to change, and suddenly you start to get rebellious, start to have attitude, start, Mom, don't be so close to me. Mom, could you walk behind me when when we're in the mall? I did this. I remember when I was little, I'd run home, get my mom a hug every day. And then I started becoming a teenager and suddenly I'm all embarrassed. Mom, don't, don't touch me in public in front of my friends. It's embarrassing. (laughs) What's going on? You see the soul tie is being cut. You are becoming your own person. You are entering adulthood. You're starting to learn your own inhibitions, your own dreams, your own desires, your own will, mind and emotions. This is a critical time and it's a healthy time. Although it can be tough on the parents, it is a special time. And and you will go through it, the soul tie will be cut, and now I'll hug my mom in public, I'll give her a kiss on the cheek, no problem. Okay, I'm back to normal. But that phase was important. Why? Because what happens for the men and women who don't cut soul tie? What do we call them? Mama's boy. Still live with the parents. Still, you know, or or maybe not live with the parents, but the way your mom or your dad talks or what they desire, what they want, you will follow. You will obey. You will submit. Okay. Most girls do not want to marry a mama's boy. They want that soul tie cut. You're meant to be with me, not with your mom. Okay. Soul tie. Soul ties can be formed not just from the womb, but also through vows through deep emotional connection, and through sex. Healthy soul ties can form through friends committing to each other. You often also see this in the battlefield. Soldiers will form soul ties with be So connected with one another. That's healthy. Okay, there are healthy soul ties. Marriage is the ultimate example of a soul tie. During the wedding, couples exchange vows. It's one way to form a soul tie. Till death do us part. You speak out those vows. Another way to form a soul tie, through objects consecrated with the vow. This wedding ring is a symbol of my wife's commitment to me. That she has committed me till death do we part. Her wedding ring is a symbol to her of my love and my commitment to her. It's a symbol of our soul tie. And what's supposed to happen is that after the wedding ceremony, you go on your honeymoon and you consummate the marriage. You finalize that soul tie Through sex. See, it's a specific order that's healthy because it's first before God and before man, the vows and the objects. And then once that blessing is released, once that soul tie is formed, then you consummate it. You finalize it through sex. But what the devil wants is he wants everything turned around. He wants you to have sex first. Then he wants you to put objects on each other's fingers and then last the vows. Because then everything is backwards. Uh, I, when I teach the kids, I use the scotch tape example. If I were to take a piece of scotch tape and I were to put it on this podium, this wood podium, it would, it would stick really well. So if I peeled it off, it would have pieces of wood on it, wouldn't it? It would carry part of that podium. Then if I were to take it and stick it on this speaker right here, it's not going to stick as strong. Why? Because it has part of this on it, but it'll stick. And then when I pull it off, what does it have on it? It has this, and it has the speaker. Then if I were to take it put it on my clothes, it's not going to stick as much either, and it's going to because it has pieces of those, and then I peel it off. You see what happens with a soul tie? When you keep sleeping with different people, when you keep making vows to different people, you are connecting your soul to so many different people that that tie gets weaker and weaker and weaker. This is vividly shown through STDs. This person has an STD, the next person's going to get it. The next person's going to get it. But it's also emotions. It's also different connections. For some soul ties, people are unknowingly carrying them, just like they're unknowingly carrying a dormant STD. If, if you guys have had premarital sex, you need to get your body checked before you get married. Some people get surprised by those things. For others, the soul ties are more obvious. I can't stop thinking about them. Uh, I think about her often, and I'm only attracted to girls that remind me of her. You remind me of a girl that I once knew. (laughs) Cut it. Okay, so for some, the way they treat their current partner is unknowingly affected by soul ties that they've formed with past partners. Where are soul ties in the Bible? In 1 Samuel 18, 1, it's the most vivid one. It's David and Jonathan as friends make vows to one another, and it says that their soul was knit as one. But we also read in Genesis, chapter 34, uh, a man named Shechem, uh, he rapes Jacob's daughter, Dinah. After raping her, it says in verse 3, and if you read the literal Hebrew, it says, His soul stuck to her. His soul clung to her. I think of the ESV, it said cleaves. But the literal translation means stick, like tape. His soul was stuck to her. Uh, Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 12, in many translations, in ASV, uh, New King James, King James, uh, the lover, she refers to her beloved as her soul. That's the word she uses for her beloved, my soul. 1 Corinthians six sixteen says, He who joins himself sexually with another becomes one body, one flesh with that person, becomes one. The two shall become one. There is a soul tie that is formed. These things are very real. Uh, I have a non-Christian friend. Uh, that, that was sharing with me um, a, a while back, uh, she had married uh, a widower. And the guy, uh, his, his, his first wife had passed away years earlier. Um, but she said that living with him, she felt like the former wife was still in the house. And she felt very uneasy. There was jealousy. There was uneasiness. And especially the picture of the former wife that was still on his desk. It was a small picture. Really made her uneasy. And some of the clothes that was just tucked away, okay? And so Sky, uh, my wife Sky shared with her about and It's still a non-Christian, but it made total sense, okay? And, and she said, oh, and then she shared it with her husband. Her husband was understanding, and uh, he took those things and, and, and put them away, got rid of them, and after that, she never felt those feelings again, never felt any jealousy, any uneasiness again. Isn't it funny how girls keep stuff from their ex-boyfriends? Let's release conviction in the room. Why? <laughs> Why do you do this? Do you think that maybe when I get older and I have daughters and they're 16 and 17, we'll pull out my old love letters from my ex-boyfriends and we'll read them? It's so creepy. (laughs) Why do you hold on to that stuff? And do you think that, you know, I I really love this this jewelry that my ex-boyfriend got me. Do you think that your future husband's going to be like, oh, that's cool? (laughs) Jealousy. Soul ties evoke jealousy symbols of soul ties evoke jealousy. You've got to clean the house. You've got to get rid of that stuff. So why are you holding on to it? Wouldn't you much rather treasure jewelry given to you by the love of your life, the person that's committed to you, that you have married, than hold on to that jewelry from the guy that you got so angry with and broke up with and, and had all that, that past with? Get rid of that stuff. How do you cut a soul tie? I'm going to make an analogy. It's the same way of cutting ties with idolatry. If I were a Buddhist and I worship Buddha and I had idols in the house when and, and then I accepted God, I wouldn't just say, God, I repent of my Buddhism. I worship you. I love you. You are now the Lord of my life and leave the idols in the house. Don't you think God would be jealous? I need to renounce my ties with those idols. Renounce means forsake, forsake to completely do away with. And so what I would do is I would not just say, God, I repent of my idolatry, but I would say, God, I renounce all my idol worship. I declare that I'm a son of God. I'm renouncing it. I'm forsaking it first verbally. That's in the spiritual. And then in the physical, I'm going to take these idols. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to get rid of them. Get them out of the house. Make it clean. There will be no jealousy in my house. It's the same for soul ties. You don't just repent. God, I repent of having sex, you know, and, and then repent to your future spouse. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that, that I did that. You need to renounce your former ways. You need to renounce your soul ties with those people, those sexual soul ties. I renounce my sexual soul ties with da, 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 with these people, and then all that stuff that reminds me of those relationships, that brings my mind, will, and emotions back to that relationship. Even if it's stored away in some closet, I'm going to get rid of it. What's the point of holding on to it? I'm not going to hold on to an idol in my house, even if it's in the closet. I'm going to get rid of it. Okay, you cleanse from that soul tie. Get rid of it. Even couples who are getting married, who have had premarital sex, need to cut their soul tie. They don't need to get rid of everything, but they need to cut the soul tie and live separate until they're married. Why? Because your soul tie is meant to be formed under God's blessing. It's meant to be formed on the wedding day. If it's not under God's blessing, it's sin. If it's sin, it's cursed. You don't want to bring a cursed soul tie into your wedding. And so you repent, God, we repent for having sex. We sin. Father, we renounce our, our soul tie with each other. We cut it through. And God, we pray, make us pure for our wedding day. Jesus makes all things new. He makes all things new. He binds up all our wounds. He cleanses us through and through. Okay? You guys need to trust that God wants to heal you. He can take the scotch tape and not just say, oh, I forgive you, but you got to carry all that junk the rest of your life. No, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. He purifies that tape. He makes it new. He makes it pure so that when you go into marriage, your marriage bed is pure. Even if you had sex with so many different people before, if you have confessed and repented of it, if you have renounced your former ways, God purifies you. You are clean in his sight, and so you are spiritually clean, you are emotionally clean, you are able to go into that marriage blessed. You guys can put up Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. This is one verse on, on renouncing or forsaking. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy will obtain mercy. Uh, And I just alluded to the last reason, the most important reason why wait for sex until marriage is that marriage is meant to be a covenant made before God. It's a covenant that's meant to be blessed. And He is clear in His Word that if you have sex outside of that covenant, it is sin. It is sin. So you want a covenant that is blessed, a covenant that is set apart. Matthew 19:6 you guys can put that up. Jesus says this, so they are no longer two but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together let not man separate. You put up the next verse, Malachi 2. It says the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Do not be faithless. I want to encourage you guys before you get engaged, every couple needs to have the talk about their past. Every couple needs to open up and share with the other, the guy with the girl, the girl with the guy, about their past, about past temptations, about past failures. And there needs to be time of processing. There needs to be a time of forgiveness. And you cannot, to demand for the other person to forgive you is not love. Okay, you give them grace. You give them time. Some people are able to forgive right away. Other people need time to forgive. And you might find for some people... They're just not able to, but it's so much better that you go through it before you are engaged than to go through it afterwards because the heartbreak will only be so much stronger. So I I don't recommend doing this right when you're dating, right when you're getting to know each other, that that first time is supposed to be emotional connection. Let's focus on the now and let's enjoy each other. But before the proposal, you better have that talk guys before you get down on one knee to propose to, to your girlfriend, you better have that talk. Okay, that builds trust, makes for a healthier relationship. Got to have that talk. And uh, in my personal opinion, I do not recommend anyone marrying someone who has an addiction to pornography. So if they confess, hey, I'm addicted, whether it's the guy or the girl, these girls have these issues as well, you do not move forward with engagement. You can continue to date, but you do not move forward until that person is walking in victory. Because anyone who says, oh, when I get married, it's all, you know, all that temptation is going to go. They're a liar, complete liar. They, they don't know that. The, well, think about it. When you look at porn, it's not the same person in every picture. It's different people, right? You're training your mind to be attracted to different people, just like that ram, just like that bull, just like 95% of every other animal. You're training your body to get aroused by different people. By different pictures and videos. So how can your one wife please you? It's completely unfair. It's completely wrong. If you are addicted to porn, if you are struggling with porn, you have to overcome this before you can get married. Otherwise, it's, it's completely the opposite of love for your spouse. You've got to deal with it before. God is able. Let's move on to pornography. Let's, let's deal with this one. Pornia in the Greek. As I said before, it's basically gratifying your sexual nature apart from the person you are married to. Gratifying your sexual nature apart from the person you are married to. I think you guys know this verse. I'll put it up. Matthew 5, 28. Jesus. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Every time you look at porn, every time your mind meditates on it, you are committing adultery. You are committing sin. Viewing porn has the same effect... Or similar effects as cocaine and heroin. What happens when you take these drugs is that a certain chemical is released in your brain called dopamine. Dopamine is supposed to be a chemical that's released after you've done something that required a lot of work for success. It brings joy and it brings pleasure. It's meant to be, have something that you experience when you're in community. But by shooting up or by looking at porn, you're releasing that chemical in your brain without any effort. And so you experience joy. You experience pleasure. It's good. But what happens is that it starts to form pathways in your mind where it makes it easier and easier to go back to that addiction. This is how the addiction forms. What else happens is that your brain knows this is unnatural. This dopamine that's being released like crazy, it's unnatural. And so it starts to fight against it. It tries to lessen the amount that's released. So what does a drug addict have to do? He's got to get a harder drug. What does a porn addict have to do? Got to look at some harder material. Do you see how it snowballs into something so wicked it gets far beyond the person's control? This is chemically proven. This isn't some Christian teaching I'm teaching you right now. This is chemically proven. The effects of pornography. Guys, lust does not satisfy. Porn does not satisfy. If it satisfied, you would only need one picture. But instead, you need more and more and more and more. Porn isn't just limited to men. Statistics show that one in three pornog- pornographic sites are women, uh, visitors are women, one in three. Other statistics state that 25% of Christian women are addicted to pornography. Uh, I don't know if that statistic is fully true, but I do the healing and deliverance ministry at this church, and I will say that many of the women, majority of the women, will have viewed pornography at least sometime in their lives, at their session, a number of them are still addicted. It's not just something that's for men. Porn kills your healthy appetite. It's like feeding a young child candy and snacks for years and years, and then, oh, now you're married, now here's a healthy, balanced meal. You think the kid's going to enjoy it? Mm -mm. You've trained them through that candy and through that junk to not want what is healthy. This is why porn, all addiction, must be dealt with before marriage. You guys getting this? Okay, men and women don't just view porn because of lust, shame, rejection, loneliness, desire for intimacy, depression, are just some of the other causes. And I said that that chemical dopamine is usually released when you are in community, when you work together for something. You guys, one of the answers for fighting porn is finding community. It's not just fighting lust. It's finding community where you will be fulfilled, where that depression will be broken off, where that loneliness, that rejection, that shame will be broken off. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. Every time I do a healing deliverance session, usually the, the part where people feel the most shame is dealing with pornography and masturbation. There's so much shame with those two sins. Far more than idolatry, bowing down to Buddha, far more than murderous thoughts about my co-teacher. Okay, People feel shame about this stuff. And they think that my... Imagination. I'm the only one that has these desires. I'm the only one who's had these thoughts, guys. The book of Ecclesiastes is clear in chapter one. It says there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new, so I'm never surprised when I look at H and D, you know, thing and uh, the the questionnaire, and I see all these different things that they've written. You know, some some very vile, some some very very rough. I'm not like, oh, you know, no, I don't judge them based on their past. I judge them on who God made them to be. I judge them upon their future, and I bring them into that hope. I bring them into that full freedom by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Word of God. Guys, if you're teaching kids, here are four simple reasons why porn is evil. Number one, porn causes the person to see the opposite sex as objects. Causes you to see people as objects. Objectifies women, objectifies men. Destroys emotional connection. A lot of heavy addicts in porn, are unable to have a good conversation with the opposite sex. Number two, second reason that porn is evil. It never satisfies. Why would you go after something that does not satisfy? First few chapters of Proverbs are all about this. Don't go after what does not satisfy. You will always need more. You will never be content. There's a reason why people don't just have one magazine. They have countless magazines. It does not satisfy. Third reason, porn takes the joy Out of intimacy between a husband and wife. I shared about that. It's like feeding junk food to a kid, then expecting him to eat a balanced meal. You can't do it. Porn steals the joy out of intimacy between a husband and wife. Some people, because they look at porn so much, and they've trained themselves to be like that bull, to be like that ram who cannot have have sex with, with a female you more than five times, they lose the ability to be aroused by their spouse. So they have to look at porn in order to have sex with their spouse. Guys, this is true. Many people have these stories. This is what porn does to you. Fourth reason that porn is evil, it makes your mind darker and darker because you have to keep going for darker material. I've counseled a number of different people who've come to me and said, I've never had these desires before. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't have, I, I'm not this sexual orientation, but I've, I, I started looking at porn a while ago and it was just just innocent stuff, just, yeah, innocent, whatever. It was just soft stuff. But then I started to get deeper and deeper and suddenly I started to hear voices in my head to look at pictures of the same sex, to look at children, to look at these other things. You see, they had allowed the spirit of lust in. And the spirit was destroying their mind, twisting their mind, getting it darker and darker. So they they needed that heavier drug, that heavier fix. And so they started to turn to more and more wicked things. Porn is evil. And we need to teach a generation about these things and train them in how to fight. I also want to add about masturbation. I know this is stuff you don't normally hear on Sundays, but here we go. I want to add that masturbation should also be avoided. Here are uh, four quick reasons for masturbation. Masturbation encourages sexual fantasy. That is porn. Masturbation encourages sexual fantasy. Number two, it is selfish. It is self-love. That's what it inherently is. Masturbation is self-love. It's the opposite of love. Masturbation tends to bring feelings of shame. Number three, like I said on the H&D questionnaire, I don't know why. But so many people, especially women, this brings heavy shame. Masturbation tends to bring shame. If you saw a dog licking itself, what would you do? Would you say, oh, what a cute puppy? No, you'd yell at it. Stop it. That's gross. We are not animals. All right, number four, masturbation is also addictive, heavily addictive. It's a doorway to lust. Masturbation is addictive. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be enslaved by anything. This is why masturbation should be avoided. All right, now let me share why this fight for purity is so important. Why, why have I taken so much time today to preach on these things? Uh, if, if I would have, I would have cut this into two sermons, uh, but this is my only chance here at Hillside this year. So here we go. Uh, I, need, I need to bring this home, but you guys need to know why is this so important compared to other sins? Why does this need to be preached in the pulpit at other churches? Have you ever heard a sermon like this in all your life? <laughs> I never did. And every person I've taught about these things never learned. Never learned these things. And so they fell into all these different traps. So they fell into all these different lies. They would ask their small group leader, why should I wait till marriage? And their small group leader would be like, thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's it. And so they're left with that. And they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know the other reasons. And so Satan's throwing them all these other different lies. And so they fall. Guys, you got to get the full story. you got to know everything. you got to be ready. As personally, aside from sexual abuse cases, I found people who have had deep struggles with lust, uh, different sexual orientations, or who began masturbating at a very young age. Um, almost all of them had a generational curse on their lives. This is what I found. Either their parents or grandparents were very promiscuous or involved in some other sin. Often for girls who struggle with lust at a very young age, and guys, this is common, it's because their father was absent or because their father didn't speak into their lives. This is very common. Young girls very young age, I'm not talking about 10 or 12 or or even 8 years old, I'm I'm talking very young age. I already spoke of... uh, Curses and blessings when I shared about how sex outside of covenant is sinful. When you mix pure water with impure water, what do you get? You get the product is impure water. When you take an impure man with an impure woman, what is the product? It's an impure child. When you take an impure man with a pure woman, what is the product? Impure child. Generational curse. This is why children who had parents, grandparents walking in purity, walking in righteousness, the things that I've been sharing about today aren't, aren't that tough for them. They walk in a higher level of grace. But for those whose parents have had affairs, who have divorced and divorced and divorced, who had, who had the child conceived before they were married, or whose grandparents were involved in a lot of different sin, the temptation is a lot stronger. It's a lot tougher. This is, this is clear physically. I mean, this is not just a spiritual teaching. My father, uh, he was addicted to drugs and alcohol for a portion of his life, as were many of my relatives on that side. And so my dad told me, please do not drink alcohol during your lifetime. I mean, you can have a sip you know, here and there, but please do not drink alcohol because your body is more prone to addiction than other people because of what I did. And so I've been very careful. This is true for mothers who who smoke while the child is in the womb or drink while the child is in the womb or or eat certain things or do certain things. That child will be prone to the same addictions from infancy, from infancy. It's the same with sexual addiction. We were conceived in sin. No one is righteous, not even one. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one perfect. So all of us, when we are born, we are prone to different sins. And if your parents were prone to anger and rage, odds are you're going to be prone to anger and rage. And you're going to have to fight that more than other people fight that. Same for lust. Where do we see this in the Bible? King David, this biggest example, King David, he was a righteous man, man after God's own heart, but he had issues with lust. He took many wives, which Deuteronomy 17 said very clearly not to do. He took many wives, and he even slept with his friend's wife, Bathsheba, outside of marriage. So let's talk about David's sons, at least the ones that we know of in the Bible. Firstborn, Ammon, he raped his sister. That's incest, and that's rape. That's heavy lust. Absalom, his other son that was going to take over the kingship, what did he do? He slept with David's concubines. The women that David had slept with, Absalom took for his own. That's extreme lust. That's disgusting. Number three, Adonijah. This guy, he wanted to become king. He requested the young maiden who slept with David in his bed during the latter part of David's life. She slept naked in the bed with David. He wanted to marry her. That's, that's wrong. That's disgusting. Number four, Solomon. How many wives did he have? 700 wives. 300 concubines. Do you see the generational curse that was released through David's unfaithfulness, through the lust that he had done in his own life? That's vivid, guys. Rape, incest, incest, countless wives, very, very strong. Your purity is important. Your purity is not just important for you. It's important for those that you care for. It's especially important for your children. Especially important. We need to repent and seek absolute purity before God. Just because your parents or your grandparents may have been deep in sin doesn't mean you're going to have to deal with horrible temptation all the rest of your life. It might mean that when you were young and you didn't know how to fight because you never had a sermon like this, that you lost a lot. And you made a lot of mistakes and you feel a lot of shame for those things. And I want to say I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I'm sorry that your parents were not faithful, that your parents allowed for that for you. But now I'm equipping you. With what you need. I'm going to preach all that you need to fight this. And, and you're going to deal with this. You're going to learn how to fight the enemy. And you're going to walk in victory. And your children are going to walk in so much more clarity. So much more grace than you ever walked in. This is God's will for you. This is the gospel. Everyone that says I'm born this way. I just got to deal with it. They have no faith in God. We are Christians. We believe in the truth of the gospel. We believe that God makes all things new. And even if you have never had an attraction for the opposite sex, even if you have dealt with these different things all your life, God is able to make all things new. He is able to change your mind. He is able to redeem. If he couldn't, then why am I here? He is able. The question comes down to this, and I want you to write this down. Am I going to own my sexuality Or is it going to own me? Am I going to own my sexuality? Or is it going to own me? Am I going to own my sexuality? Or is it going to own me? It's either Satan has you pinned down with his foot on your neck, or you have Satan pinned down with your foot on his neck. It's one way or the other. So here are two verses how to fight lust one in the physical, one of the spiritual first Corinthians 6:18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee means run away, get away from it in the physical. You need to train your body to run like Joseph ran when Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him. You need to train your body to run like the angels told lot, get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, get out of this area, run. You need to obey the word of Proverbs where he says, do not stray into the paths of the adulteress. Do not stray into the paths of the wicked woman. Flee from sexual immorality. This means avoiding movies with nudity or with sexual scenes, things that will affect your mind. It means staying away from places in the city where you know you will be tempted, where there's the ginger or, or it's a massage parlor or it's a, a club or one of those areas. If you know you're going to be tempted, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Why would you go back? You're a fool if you think you can go into an area of high temptation and not get burned. You're a fool if you think you can maintain lust and not, it not affect you. You've got to flee from it. got to get away. And fleeing isn't just with your physical body. It's also with your eyes. Job 31.1. Every person should memorize this verse. I recommend the NIV, actually. This is the ESV. It says, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? NIV says, how could I look lustfully upon a young woman? He's made a covenant with his eyes. Job was a righteous man. He trained his eyes so that if there was a woman who was looking lustful, or a woman that might tempt him, he trained himself to look away, to flee. It doesn't mean he was running away. It just meant he trained his eyes that when he was walking through Myeongdong, he knew where to keep his eyes. Okay? you got to train yourself. Like I said, dopamine creates pathways in your mind. It starts to make roads, starts to make highways. you got to fight that by making new pathways, by training your body. For me, uh, I, I dealt with lust a lot when I was young. And then when I was in college uh, and I started to really go after God, I realized even though porn was removed from my life and masturbation was removed from my life, I still had a lot of junk up in here. And my eyes would still wander as I would walk to class. And I realized this was wrong. And I had conviction. I said, God, help me. And I began to pray. And what God led me to do was that when I would walk in that field, walk to, walk to classes, and I would, my eyes would wander and uh, suddenly a lustful image or something you know, came, came to me, I would picture a mental image of my mind of a boot. Like the, well, I'm not wearing a boot. Like a boot, just boom, crushing that thought. And I'm thinking of something else. Quoting scripture. I'm singing a song. I'm setting my mind on something else. It, it might sound silly, but I've counseled guys in doing this. Some use a sword. Some use other things. It's just boom. I'm training myself. Okay? And you work at it to the point where it gets easy. Where you can walk into a place where that is heavily temptation and be able to look away. You can train yourself even in your dreams to the point where when you have a lustful dream, you can catch yourself and wake yourself up or leave the room in that dream. Guys, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Philippians 4.13. You got to train your eyes. Train your eyes, both guys and girls. That's, that's big for guys, but also for girls. First step is flee. That's in the physical. What do you do in the spiritual? What if you do if it's an image or something that's in your mind? How do you flee from that? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Satan's lie is that you will always have this all your life. What a lie. He's the father of lies. Resist the devil and the truth of God is that the devil will flee from you. How did Jesus resist the devil? He spoke scripture. Satan came with him with three temptations. Boom, boom, boom. Jesus, verse, verse, verse. And it says the devil fled from him only to return later at an opportune time. What you got to understand is temptation might be strong on you now because of your addictions, because you haven't trained your mind. But as you learn to resist, as you learn to speak scripture, as you learn the truth of God, as you get accountability, as you learn how to fight, the devil's going to flee from you. He might come back later, but he's now on the outside. Why? Because you've repented of those ways. You've renounced. You are now pure. You are now clean. So when that thought comes back, that's not who you are. Temptation does not define you. It's how you respond to temptation that defines you. If you resist, you are you're more than a conqueror. You are walking in victory. You're walking like a true son or daughter of God. Got to learn how to resist. Memorize scripture. Psalm 119 verse 9. Psalm 119 verse 11. John eight thirty two, First 1 John 4, 4, so many other scripture will aid you in resisting the devil. Accountability is a huge help. Soldier will never go into battle alone. Get someone that is either walking in victory or someone who is just as zealous as you for victory. Guys, I hope you're taking this to heart. All that I'm preaching today, I hope you're not like, well, I'm a failure. Uh, I'm never going to get over this. I wish he'd stop. I feel condemned. Guys, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He makes all things new. Let me get that clear into your mind. He is able. He who called you is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You guys got to take this to heart. If you choose some accountability member who's just mired in it. No, I'm just struggling. Same old, same old next week. Oh, yeah, I fell again. Forgive me. Okay, that's not going to help you. You're just going to keep falling. But if you get someone who is zealous for victory or is already walking in victory, I guarantee you, you will get out of it. And you got to fight. you got to treat this like war. you got to be like, look, can I call you at any time of the night if I'm getting tempted? Can I call you at any time? Okay, let's do this. You need to. If you're in bed and you're getting lustful thoughts, not just try and roll around and, and try and just go to sleep. you got to get out of bed, go into the other room, and pray. Resist. If you're not resisting, he's not going to flee. But if you resist, he will flee. And it's far better to to have a couple sleepless nights of praying and then a lifetime of purity than to have this hammering you all your life. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Get accountability. Someone you can confess to, uh, encourage, fight with, set different boundaries, uh, plan ahead. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. Pastor Christian shared about willpower, how you got to see it in advance. You got to come up with those scenarios. What am I going to do if at night I start to get tempted? What am I going to do if I'm alone at home and I start to get tempted? What am I going to do if I'm in that area and I start to feel tempted? Make a game plan. Train your body to flee. Train your mind, your spirit to resist. Guys, temptation does not shape us. There are married Christian men who still have different, is, you know, different temptations of lust. There are married Christian men who have suddenly a homosexual temptation, a temptation for pedophilia, a temptation for different things. This goes for women as well. It's not like once I'm married, suddenly lust is gone. Okay, Marriage helps, don't get me wrong. But it's not like temptation is completely gone for you in your life. But if you will train yourself and how to flee, and how to resist. If that temptation comes, that fleeting thought, that's not who you are. That was your former self. Don't let Satan resurrect that former self. You reject it. I am a new creation. I am redeemed. I belong to God. Moving on. It doesn't affect you. Don't let that pornographic thought affect you. Know who you are in Christ, and you move forward. There are so many men and women. Guys, happy marriages. Temptation is there. Satan tries to send a lustful dream, but they are not hindered. Why? Because they have accountability, because they confide in each other, because they help each other, and their joy only grows stronger. Understand that. Don't think marriage is the key freeing from lust. You've got to deal with it before marriage. But as you train yourself, you will walk in that victory, whether you get married or not, all the days of your life. I also want to share that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is powerful and will empower you, especially in terms of addiction, Victory Outreach Center uh, in New York, if you read the Cross and the Switch play, they deal with drug addicts. And these are drugs that are supposed to be in your bloodstream all the days you, for, for the rest of your life once you do these drugs. But they found that the Victory Outreach Center had the highest rate of former addicts being completely healed, being completely cleansed from the drugs, and walking in freedom. They had the highest rate. And when the founder, David Wilkerson, asked all the different people, he took a poll, when did you experience complete freedom from your former addiction? They all said, when I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When God encountered me, that was when the addiction was completely gone. So know that as well. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. He will give you strength. He will give you power in this fight. So at the beginning of the sermon, I had shared that this sermon was inspired because I've had to teach this uh, at my children's home multiple times. And I know of children's homes in the city. Some of the kids um, prostitute themselves. Sixth graders, seventh graders. Some of these kids got into deep temptation. Some of them, some homes, homosexuality, different things going on. They were never taught what I've been teaching you today. They've never been taught about how to handle their body. All they were taught was anatomy. This is this and this is that. They never had hope. And I know that these orphanages aren't just, it's not just these kids. It's this generation. And if you guys watch music videos, if you guys watch Beyonce at the Grammys, which I don't recommend, or some of these other videos, Miley Cyrus, you will see Lust is taking over this this young generation. This generation is getting more and more cursed. That's what Satan wants. He wants us all to be animals. He wants us all to lose the reality that we are made in the image of God, that we are something special, that we're separate from the animals. Instead, he wants us to be just like that bull, just like that ram, just like that hen, that rooster. And if we don't teach this generation, if we don't speak out, if we don't walk in purity, blood's on our hands. And we're going to watch loved ones. We're going to watch innocent children, our own children fall into deeper and deeper sin. So I share this today, not just so that you can walk in freedom, but so that you can have a fire in your heart. I'm not going to be silent about these things. Even though it might feel embarrassed to talk about this stuff, I'm going to know that it's far better that I share and set these children free, set these people free from a lifetime of shame, of torment, of disappointment, than to be silent. I want uh, everybody to stand up. Hillside, Itaewon, Seaside, Sydney, stand up. Your choices affect a lot more people than you think. Affect far more people than you think. Your choices about lust aren't just about your life. It affects far more than you think. You see, my children's home has a lot of purity about it. I've been very blessed where I've been working. It's not not because of me. It's because the founder, Pastor Che, has walked a righteous life. And he has reached out to the kids. The kids call him Abuji. He's now in his 80s. They still call him Abuji, father. And because of that covering, the children have a greater level of grace. God is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. He sets the lonely in families. But you see some of these other children's homes that I spoke about, where there's been sex trafficking, where there's been homosexuality. When you study the directors of those homes, you will find that they've been in affairs, that they've been in all sorts of illicit behavior. And unknowingly, they've opened those doors for the children that they are taking care of. It's not just your own biological children. It's all those under your care. You are either shielding and protecting and being a a person of refuge. Or you're carrying a cloud of heaviness and of evil. God wants a pure church. God wants a pure generation. God wants children set apart. He wants his sons and daughters set apart. No more shame. No more fear. No more laziness. No more just dealing with it. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. If you're an active leader in this house, and what I've shared today is, is something that you are dealing with, you need to share right away. If you're a reserve leader, if you're just a member, guys, I want you to share it with pastors. All have sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We can all relate to one degree or another in these sins. There's nothing new under the sun. What I want us to do right now across the campuses, even if you're watching this from your house and you're alone, I want us to war against the spirit of lust. I want us to resist the devil right now. If what I've shared today convicts you and you know you got some repenting to do, I want you to just go and repent where you are. Everyone else, I want us to pray loud. I want us to pray strong. Because a generation is depending on it. Because these children at the orphanages are depending on it. If no one else will cover them, then the enemy has free reign. But if we pray and we cover them, then they are safe. This is why we war. This is why we pray for our small group members. This is why we pray for our family. This is why we pray for our nephews and our nieces. This is why we pray for our future children. That they will walk in victory. That they won't go through the things that we've had to go through. So, church, I want us to pray for freedom for this generation, freedom for this young generation. I want us to pray for all lust to be broken off. I want us to war right now. Let's pray and let's be for purity. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. I want everyone uh, across every campus to just repeat after me. Father, we repent for our sexual sin. Father, we renounce shame. we shame. We We renounce hopelessness. We declare our hope is in you. We declare we are accepted by you. We are accepted by the family of God. We declare you make all things new. God, right now, I just unsheath the sword of the Spirit. I break through, Lord, every chain of lust in this place. Every chain of lust for all who are watching, all who are listening. In the name of Jesus, God. And I speak forth hope being released. Father, I bind the spirit of lust. I bind all shame, every mocking spirit, God. I bind all perversion, God. I bind it by the blood of Jesus. I command it to go in Jesus' name. I bind all hopelessness, God. All fear, God. All laziness. I command it to go, God. And I speak forth life over your people, Lord. I speak forth hope. Over your people, God. You make all things new. You make all things new, God. Your people are accepted. They are loved, Lord. They are the apple of your eye. They are the crown in your hand. They are precious and honored in your sight. And you died for them. Even while they were still sinners, you died for them. Because of your love. Because of your victory. Because of the hope that you have released. Father, I speak the fire of God over every person. The fire of God over every person, God. We will not tolerate lust any longer, God. We will not tolerate it for our lives or for the lives of those around us, God. I speak the fire of God. The fire of God falling. Your burning love. Your jealous love burning up. That we will not allow this in our lives. We will not allow it in our house. We will not allow it wherever we go, God. I speak full cleansing, God. I speak a pure bride. A pure bride, God. A pure church set apart. There's nothing new under the sun. God, I speak fresh accountability in your church, Lord. Not just for New Philadelphia, but for the church of God. That these things the church will not be mute about. These things the church won't be silent while the rest of the media is shouting about it. Father, I pray for a church that will be strong, that will be free. That will walk in that freedom and not be ashamed of the past. But teach the younger generation from our mistakes. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Thank you, Lord. We are whole. We are pure. By the blood of the Lamb. By your sacrifice. And I thank you that this church, God, we represent your hands and your feet. So for everyone who is struggling, for everyone who feels dirty or or feels beaten down, God, there's hope. We're right here. We understand and we have hope. We have faith. There is victory in the name of Jesus. There is victory in the name of Jesus. We exalt you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.